God is good this morning. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Psalm 100. Okay, that's fine. I don't know. Yep. <laughs> no telling. I've misplaced something, so no telling. Um, yeah. <laughs> Praise God. Um, Psalm 100. If you have your Bibles this morning, please turn there with me. Psalm 100. We um, are in the middle or in the midst of a just a two-part series. Actually, this is, these what we heard last week and this week are two parts of a longer series that we won't finish right now, but maybe we'll get into it a little later. But a series on the Psalms. And last week we talked about Psalm 51. Uh, we talked about David and how he, uh, you know, if he was where he was supposed to be and doing what he was supposed to be doing, he would have never come uh, fallen into the trap that particular trap anyway, amen, and, uh, you know, how it, we have a need to be broken and to come before God and, and, and just repent and lay everything before God because guess what? Uh, it's not just an embarrassing thing to do that, but what God does is with that brokenness, he puts us together and makes something better than we could have ever made. He, he molds us and shapes us. I believe it was uh, Jeremiah, I believe, that he told to go down to the potter's house and see how he molds the clay on the wheel and how he breaks it and, and breaks it apart and molds it and puts it back together. That's what I am doing with you. And so that's really what Psalm 51 um, encourages us to do, to come before God with that repentance. Psalm 100, it represents a particular attitude. All the Psalms do, uh, sort of a desire for God. The Psalms do, a desire in your heart for God. And out of Psalms, many of our prayers, many of our songs come from these psalms over the years. It's a devotional, really, the book of Psalms. Uh, it's, it's, it's identifiable to us. It, I, I don't care what you're going through in your life. You can open the book of Psalms and read through and you can identify with the psalmist and you can be encouraged from the psalmist. And uh, today we turn our attention to this mighty little psalm, Psalm 100. It's a psalm, saints of thanksgiving and worship, the author of this psalm and the occasion for which it is written, uh, though they are unknown, it is believed to have been written and chanted by a festive procession. That's where this comes from. As people approach the temple to go worship God. That's where this psalm comes from. And it was used in the daily service at the synagogue. This is the only psalm designated as a psalm of thanksgiving and was used in the temple with the sacrifice of praise. It exhorts us to serve the Lord with what? Gladness. Why? Because he is our creator. He owns us and he deserves our worship. Now this is also called a missionary psalm as it refers to all the nations of the earth and all the inhabitants of the earth. We will develop our thought along the giving of our own praise and thanksgiving and thanks offering and thanks living. Psalm 100 says this. It says, make a joyful noise. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. 
enter his gate with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. All generations. So, and I want to just say a, a side note about that word generations there. That word generation doesn't just mean uh, this uh, time frame of people and they die off and the new people come. It, that word generations comes from a word called genos. So it means those with the same genes. And so if you are born again, you have that same DNA, the same genes as God. And so no matter what your flesh looks like, no matter what your flesh is, if you are born again, you are of the same genos or generation. And so God is good to all generations. This psalm is called a psalm that brings us to serve the Lord with gladness. Here are some of the titles of this psalm. Serve the Lord with gladness. That's the result of this psalm. Exalt God with our praise. That's what you can say about how would you exalt God with your praise. That's what this psalm encourages you to do. It's also a psalm for the thank offering. Thank offering. That's that same word when it says thanksgiving. It comes from the same Hebrew word from Leviticus when it says bring a thank offering. So your thanksgiving is actually an offering unto the Lord. It's also a hymn of praise. It's been called a hymn of praise. It's an invitation to praise God and then to sing the song of praise. This is, the, this is one of the most simple and straightforward psalms that talks about praise. It talks about praise in this psalm and it really encourages us to exhort each other and to exalt God. That's why we sing, I will exalt you, because you are my God. This psalm instructs us to be wholehearted. With our whole heart, I will praise God. To be wholehearted worshipers, who worship God with what? Passion. I, God is saying to you, I really want you, I don't want lip service. You know, Jesus at one time said, if you're just coming with uh, words and with lip service, then I don't even want to hear it. Have you ever said that to one of your children <laughs> or somebody, if they, you know, and they, they say, I'm sorry to you, but they kind of don't mean it. You know, I'd just rather you not say it if you're not really sorry. Okay. That's what God is saying. But we need to worship him with passion, using our voice and actions, freely pouring out praise and worship with deep affection. And love for God, serving God with gladness. Let me read this. I don't read a lot out of the Message Bible because it is, and I'm not putting it down, it's just a little flowery sometimes for me, but that's personal. That's not a spiritual mandate to you. It's just a personal thing for me. But I do like some phrases. Eugene, I think he, um, he, he really does hit home uh, on a lot of his exhortation. Uh, when he when he interprets what is already written there. And this is one that I really like out of the message. Let me read this to you out of the message. We can put it up here. It says this, Psalm 100. He says this. On your feet now, applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourselves into his presence. Now, stop right there. He says to bring a gift of laughter. Laughter is the gift that we can bring to God. 
It's easy, as we said early, to bring a gift of murmuring, to bring a gift of criticism, to bring a gift of negativism, if you can call them gifts. But, I mean, who wants to be around someone who is negative all the time? You know, who wants to hear that? Who wants to hear somebody who murmurs all the time? You know, sometimes even, you know, maybe on your job, you're around people who murmur all the time. And, and, and no job is perfect. No church is perfect. Come on, it's made of imperfect people. And there, there are some things that are wrong. You know, I remember, I remember working for the phone company. And there, boy, there are some things I would definitely like to change. There were some things that just didn't make sense. You ever felt like those who were way up there didn't understand what you were doing and they made rules and laws and principles and it's like, seriously, would you come do this job for a couple days and then you would see how ridiculous this, what, what you're telling me to do is. That doesn't make sense, you know. But what are you going to do? Are you going to murmur and complain about that for two weeks and never get your job done, right? Or are you going to suck it up? You can even make your complaint be made known, say, you know, I'd rather do it this way. Here's my suggestion. Drop it in the suggestion box, and then boom, move on. Got to do it. I think about men in war, and I think about, you know, for, for guys, a lot of times things come back to movies, you know. I always think about a line from a movie, right, you know. And uh, I think about that, that movie, A Few Good Men, you know, and... Uh, they, they were down there at Guantanamo Bay, you know, Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson, you know, they're going back and forth and all these guys and, and uh, Dem Demi Moore was down there and all of that and, and their characters were arguing in the movie and, um, you know, they were talking about following orders and why would you follow an order like that that doesn't make sense? And Jack Nicholson said, you follow orders or people die in war. You don't understand why I said go this way. But listen, I'm up here. You don't see the big picture. So you need to do what you're asked to do, and we can talk about it later. So in war, if you don't follow orders, people die. Well, guess what? God is asking us that same thing. We don't see the big picture all the time. Follow orders, or people may be lost. I have a plan, God is saying. I have a plan that I am executing. Follow my orders, and you'll see later. Don't murmur and complain and come with negativism. Right? Don't just bring the problem. Bring a solution. Bring some encouragement. Come on. We can do that to each other. Encourage each other. Right? You get a lot more done. What is it? You get a lot more done with, not, with honey, thank you, than you do vinegar. Right? I don't want to be around somebody whose face is all torn up all the time. You know, just looking evil. They may be saved, but the look on their face is just, you know, it's like smile. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, smile a little bit more. Come on, we can smile. Look, see there, you feel better already, don't you? Yeah, smile. <laughs> Come on. That's a gift of laughter. God wants us to laugh. Listen, he, he did all the suffering on the cross. He did the suffering. He took that so that we could have joy. The world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. Keep your joy. Don't give it away. Bring the gift of laughter. Sing yourselves into his presence. And then he says, know this, that God is God. God is God. And God, God, in case you didn't understand the previous phrase. God is God. He made us. We didn't make him. We are his people, his well-tended sheep. 
I remember a phrase from Job that said, how can, and I love the King James version of this, it just sounds a lot neater to me. It said, uh, how can the thing that is formed say to the thing that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? You had nothing to do with it. You may not have been made in the first place. So don't complain about the way you were made. Creator made you that way for a purpose. We didn't make him. He made us. And then he says this. Enter with the password. Come on, parents know this password. Come on. Can I have the keys? Will you buy me a laptop? Can you do those things? All right, what do you say? Thank you. No, no, come on now. What do you? Come on, you can say it. Thank you. Oh, come on now. One more time. Say it with a smile on your face. Thank you, Dad. Okay, here you go. And so God deserves a big thank you every once in a while. Don't you think? Come on, let's give, let's give him a big thank you. Come on, let's say it together. Thank Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It says, make yourselves at home. Talking praise. Ooh, my wife is big on this. She always tells me, talk praise, speak life into the situation. Talk praise. My grandmother said, you don't have anything good to say? Ah, uh, come on now. <laughs> talk praise. Thank him, worship him, for God is sheer beauty. Woo! All generous in love. All generous. Loyal always and forever. He will never leave you or forsake you. Where does worship come from? It comes from a place in our heart, not out of a sense of responsibility and tradition. It comes from in our heart. Worship is really a response to the Holy Spirit. Now, Invitation to praise God. This psalm in part is an invitation to praise God. Those first three verses say, make a joyful shout unto the Lord. It says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. In other words, there's some action words there that we need to do. We can't just sit at home praising God. We must make a joyful shout. We must actually serve the Lord. We must volunteer for some ministries. We must say yes when somebody asks us to do something for them. When we're asked to do something in the church for God, we must say yeah, we must serve. We must come before his presence with singing and know that he is God. Now this invitation comes to four groups of people. Okay? Now these four groups of people are, are people that always encounter a worship experience with God. Make sure you are in one of these four groups. First of all, the believer. This is a person who has accepted Christ as his or her personal Savior and has committed their life to Christ, a committed person, to follow Christ in every part of their life. In other words, you cannot, and I don't mean to sound mean here, but you cannot truly worship God unless you are born again. You can sing songs, you can clap, you can lift your hands, but true worship you can't do. Because why? God is spirit. And those that worship him, what Jesus say, must worship him in spirit and in truth. And if you're not born again, you don't have a new spirit. Because if any man be in Christ, he is a New creature. Impossible for the old to truly worship. 
Acts 4, 4 says, however, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Now the believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. They believed and responded. And so when you do that, you're able to worship. You can't have a true worship experience without being born again. Remember in John chapter 4, when Jesus began to teach on worship, and he was talking to people who came to a particular mountain out of tradition. And it was a religious spirit, and he told them, he said, that's not really worship. I know you've been doing that, but now let me educate you. Let me bring you up to a higher place, another level. Let me bring, let me tell you what true worship really is. He said, when, when you come to worship the Father, you come to worship him in spirit and in truth. And you have to know that God is spirit. He's seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship, worship is to be with God. It's actually a response to the Holy Spirit. And if you're not born again, your worship is really about God. But God doesn't want you worshiping about him. He wants you worshiping with him, truly responding with a heart to God. He wants a relationship with you, a relationship. Number two is a follower of God. Now that you're born again, you must commit yourself to follow God. Commit yourself. person who is pursuing God with all their heart, soul, mind, and spirit. person who is following hard after God. Psalm 42 said, as a deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you. If I don't have anything else, I want you, God. And then number three is a lover of God. Not just those who have believed and responded to the words, not just those who say, well, I'm a disciple, but I'm, I'm talking about a lover of God. I mean, they truly love God. You know how you can tell a lover of God? Is somebody that quite often talks about God. You know, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lady I know in the workplace, and you know she started courting, you know, with this guy. And so every day at lunch, five days a week, for just about an hour of lunch, we have to hear about Steve. You know, Steve. Steve was so great. Look, Steve texted me. Guess what? Steve and I are going to the Pacer game. Steve. 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 I said, Oh Lord, Steve. <laughs> But see, you know, she has an emotional response, but she has, she's falling in love. And a person who is truly a lover of God, you'll hear them talk about God quite often. So check ourselves on that. I need to check myself, look in the mirror, say, do you talk about the Lord or do you complain and murmur? <laughs> I have to look at myself. I truly need to fall in love with God. And then that leads to, number four, a wholehearted responder. Someone who responds with their whole heart. All of it. All of your heart. Respond. One who worships God with a fervent heart, voice, and actions in an extravagant fashion of celebration. Whatever it is, go all in. They, in sports, they say, leave it all out there on the field. Leave it all on the, don't hold anything back. Leave it all there. Psalms 9, 1 and 2 says, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And when you worship, we acknowledge who we worship in a way 
that you understand from Scripture, it, it deepens your worship. And we really acknowledge God. And there are six things that we acknowledge every time you come to worship in this psalm, Psalm 100. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he that made us and we not ourselves. We are his people. We are his sheep, the sheep of his pasture. I'm so glad that he made us and we didn't make him. Think of what kind of God we would have made. But there are six things that we acknowledge in this passage of scripture. Number one, we acknowledge that he is God. Now, this word here, he, they say, he says it twice in Psalms 100, verse 3 to 5. It says, know that the Lord, he is God. Know that the Lord, he is God. Two words there. Know that the Lord, he is God. That word Lord there comes from uh, the word Jehovah, which actually is the Yahweh word. It's the Yahweh word from Exodus chapter 3, where he told Moses, I am that I am. That's what this is. Know that the Lord, I am that I am, meaning that he will be everything that you ever need, anytime that you ever need it, anytime that the occasion arises. That's who he is. And then we upgraded that word a little bit because it didn't have vowels in it to Jehovah. But that wasn't used till maybe in the early 1600s. So it's the Yahweh word. This is the name of God that emphasizes his eternal self-existence. The covenant name of God, the I am that I am. It says, know that he is Lord. Know that he is Yahweh. He is Elohim. Yahweh, the I am that I am, is God Elohim, the all-powerful one, the all-knowing one, the one that doesn't need to take counsel with anybody. If I need some help, I'll counsel with myself. That's what God is saying. Because I'm the only one that has the answer. So if I ever have a question, I ask myself. Because I have the answer to my question. This is the God that you serve. The I am that I am is Elohim. The all-powerful and mighty one. He is the God of covenant. He is Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Tishkenu. He is everything that we will ever need. So now, if we know that, it brings us to this point. When you worship the Lord, the psalmist says, know that he is Lord. So when I am going through something, how is it that I revert back to the murmuring and complaining and the negative words and the fear and the doubt? Come on, I mean, I've been through it. I'm not throwing any stones, trust me. Because what is it? When you live in the glass house, don't throw any stones, right? But how is it that we revert to those things knowing that God is everything that we will ever need anytime the occasion arises? And this God is Elohim. Not only is he everything that we'll ever need, but he is all powerful. He needs to get power from no one. He needs to consult with nobody. He has all of the power. He doesn't have to fill out a purchase request to get approval from accounting. He needs nothing. This God, he is Elohim. When I'm in battle, he is my victory. He is more than able, more than capable, and more than willing to do everything that we need him to do. We must understand that he understands our problem, but he is also our conqueror. And so now, God being your conqueror, 
That doesn't make you a conqueror. That makes you more than a conqueror. Come on. You're more than a conqueror. No matter what comes your way. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, should not worry like this. He is Elohim. Means mighty one, capable of all. Our God, he is God. Number two, he is our maker. Oh, Lord, I'm so glad you made me and I didn't make you. No telling what I would have made if I made God. A genie? I don't know. He is our maker. What does that mean? (laughs) To be made, it means to be created, to be fashioned with care. All right, it means to produce. When used of creation, it connotes what only God can do. He makes us and he takes great care. What is that scripture, D.D., from Psalms? You're wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. That means that God took great care when he made you. Oh, you are not an accident. He didn't leave a few things off and say, well, that's okay. We'll just leave it like that. I don't feel I got six other billion people to make, so, uh, you know, I'll just leave it like this. No, you were made with great care. Amen? Come on. He knows everything about you because he made it. He made it. Genesis 1 says that God said, us, let, and God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. He is our maker. Number three, he is our shepherd. Oh, thank you, Lord. He is our shepherd. He leads us. That means that he knows what to do. He knows which way to go. He leads us in green pastures and by the still water. Causes us to lay down in green pasture. He is our shepherd and he will feed his flock. Number four, we acknowledge that he is good. He is good. Now, this, this, this can be a cliche uh, type of thing, you know, where we just say, oh, you know, God is good, right? But listen. God is so good that there is nothing left out of that goodness. That means he is all generous, totally and 100% beautiful, pleasant to the eye, kind, upright, with moral goodness. God is good. God is good. The goodness of God endures continually. Psalm 52.1. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You ever tasted something real good? Good apple pie? And then you say, Boy, I want another piece. (laughs) Now, apple pie, we probably shouldn't get a second piece. But of God, you're welcome to get more. (laughs) Once you taste that the Lord is good, come back to him and get more. Because he's got more for you. He is unsearchable. That just mean, It doesn't mean that you can't search him. It just means that you can search and search and search and search, 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 and search, and search, and search, and search, and search, 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 and you can still search some more. And guess what? There's more that you haven't even found in him. <laughs> He's got so much. He is good. He is good. Number five, he is merciful. Now this, it can be an adjective to describe someone. Boy, that's a merciful person. And that's what it does for God. He is merciful. But also, he is mercy full. He is full of mercy. So what does that mean? You know what it means to me? You can't get any more mercy into God. And this is the only time I might say this about God, but guess what? He's full of it. (laughs) 
I mean, he is full of mercy. To the top. You can't get any more. So in case you're wondering, boy, God is just, I did it this time. I mean, I really did it this time. Guess what? I want to tell you this. I'll, I'll, I'll precede this scripture with this saying that Paul said, listen, uh, don't take advantage of God's grace. You know, God forbid that you take advantage of his grace. But know this, where sin does abound, grace does that much more abound. You cannot out God. You can't do it. I know that sounds, it sounds crazy, doesn't it, when you hear that? It almost sounds like, wow, that's, you know, kind of sacrilegious. But it's in the scripture. I didn't write it and you didn't write it. The Holy Spirit wrote that through Paul to the Romans. He said, where sin does abound, grace does that. In other words, you're not, you're not badder than God. <laughs> Your badness is not uh, worse than God's goodness. Can't do it. But the key is we just need to go to him. Anytime you go and say, God, I really did it. You say, I know. I knew before you did it. But guess what? <laughs> my grace is sufficient and my mercy endures forever. And it's new every morning. And I am full of mercy. So put this ring on your finger and this robe around you and come on in and take your place. That's what God will say to you. Oh, he's, his truth endures. His truth endures. You ever had somebody tell you something and it, it sounds good and it sounds right and it sounds truthful? And you say, yeah, that sounds right. But as time goes by, you say, oh, I don't know about that. That, didn't, that, wasn't, that wasn't really right. That truth didn't endure. Kind of like all those experts talking about how the Heat were going to beat the Pacers. You know, it, it sounded good. You know, they got LeBron, the weapon of mass destruction. Sounds like they can. But as the series goes along, I don't know about that truth. We're just going to have to see <laughs> and hope. <laughs> Praise God. But God's truth endures. His truth is altogether and 100% faithful to you. It endures. Firm, steadfast, faithfulness in fulfilling promises. He's not slacking his promises. His truth endures. Now listen, giving our praise to God. We need to come before his presence with singing. I want to briefly share some things with you from Ephesians 5.19. Because in Psalms 100 it says, make a joyful noise, joyful shout. How do we do this? Ephesians 5.19 says this. It says, speaking to one another with psalms, you know the scripture? Hymns and spiritual songs. So we are to do that. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Psalms hymns, and spiritual songs. Here's what those things break down to be as I studied it out. Psalms are really songs of praise from Scripture. So you have Scripture, you read the Scripture, and you turn that Scripture, and you put a melody to it and turn it into a song. That's what Psalms are. And it just doesn't mean from the book of Psalms. It could be any Scripture that has that desire, that attitude of praise and worship toward God. Like from Isaiah or other places that people uh, look at the Psalms and they turn that Psalm into a song. Those are songs. Hymns, on the other hand, are songs of praise and worship of human composition. Maybe out of experience. Many of, the, many of our great hymns obviously uh, glorify God, but what they are also meant to do is to edify each other. Amazing grace came out of an experience that someone had. 
It glorifies God and talks about his grace, but it's also that you know that God had grace in this terrible situation that I was in. He'll have grace for you, for us to edify each other out of human composition, composed of biblical themes that are directed toward people as a testimony. That's what a hymn is. Now this, and just think, when Paul wrote this, we didn't have a hymn or a hymn book to refer back. So there were hymns going way back. And he said, we are to sing with psalms and hymns. And then spiritual songs. And I've always heard this and I thought, well, what is, exactly is a spiritual, isn't a hymn a spiritual song? Isn't a psalm a spiritual song? But in looking at it and looking at what the Greek word and all that, and I won't get into all that means for that, really it's a song of praise of spontaneous or unpremeditated nature with unrehearsed melodies. It comes, in other words, it comes up out of your spirit because you're worshiping and you're responding to God and you just begin to sing a melody to the Lord. And it's not a song that someone uh, has already written and it's not a hymn, it's not a psalm, it's not a praise and worship song you heard on the radio. It just comes up out of your spirit, whether you're alone in the shower or whether you're a member of the worship team and you just begin to sing during worship or if you're in the congregation and we're just worshiping and you just begin to sing a melody. That's a, a spiritual song. The source of this inspiration is the Holy Spirit. It comes out of your spirit, out of the pneuma. God breathes something into you. It sort of takes you to another place. It really does. And that's a spiritual song. And he really tells us to uh, sing with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Spiritual songs can be sung in our own language. Spiritual songs can be sung in tongues. You know, 1 Corinthians 14, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with understanding. So that must mean that with the Spirit, when I pray with the Spirit, I don't necessarily have understanding. I'm just looking at what the Scripture says. It says, I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with understanding. So you can pray and sing in tongues. You can pray and sing uh, with your own natural language. But it's born out of your spirit. I will sing with the Spirit and I will also sing with understanding. But what it breaks down to is our personal song of praise. And this is what we're really getting to with this uh, Psalms 100. Our own personal song of praise. We need to have a personal experience with the Lord in order to truly worship God. Let's not just come together in corporate worship and just because everybody else is singing, we sing and clap and go along with everybody else. Listen, with all of these, if, even if this, if this were a mega church with 3,000 people and you were standing right in the midst and you're clapping along with everybody else, God is looking at you and he wants your specific and particular worship. And so we need to have a personal experience with God. A personal experience. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. Enter his courts with praise. Now, our personal song of praise, number one, is given by our own heart, voice, and actions, freely given as our song of praise to God. It must break forth in us and flow out from us, our personal song of praise. That's what God wants. Psalms 98.4 says, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song. Rejoice and sing praises. 
go out to, to this afternoon. Some people are going to be breaking forth and shouting, aren't they? At the at, at Banker's Life Fieldhouse, they're going to be shouting, breaking forth. When you go to the fair someplace in Europe on that ride, you're shouting and screaming, you're breaking forth. Listen, that's what God wants us to do. Break forth in song. Don't leave anything out there on the field. <laughs> Let it all out. That's what God wants us to do. Number two, our personal song of praise is our own new song, birthed in our heart and sung out uh, as our own words of praise. It means what was not there before. New song. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. These are attitudes that we need to have, our own personal song of praise. Number three, our own personal song of praise is given as a spiritual sacrifice, a thanks offering given unto God, a personal sacrifice. That means when you are really going through it, you still need to praise God. We need to bring all of that to worship, to our worship experience. Because God's the only one who can take care of it for us. Psalm 22.3 says, But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. You are holy in the Amplified. Oh, you who dwell in the holy place where the praises of Israel are offered. In other words, he engulfs our praise. And no matter what we're going through, we can come into his presence and we can begin to praise God and give a sacrifice of praise, he begins to do like that potter. He'll break some things off and put some things together, add what we didn't have before, and make something new and beautiful in us. You know, very often we interpret God's pruning process. Jesus talks about pruning a lot in John. We, we interpret God's pruning process as storms. You know, the storms of life, boy, I'm really just going through the storms of life right now. It's just a storm. Through the storm, I'm going through it. But listen, sometimes God is just really pruning you. And it's a necessary procedure to get you to where God wants you to be. Imagine having a growth, you know, on your arm or something, and, you, and, it, and it bothers you, and it, and it really hurts. And you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, guess what? We need to take that thing off. And so they numb it up a little bit and he gets the knife out and starts cutting that thing and cuts it off and then patches it up. And then for days it hurts. But guess what? In your mind, you know, it was for the best. You can endure the pain because you know what was there that shouldn't be there is now gone. And I know it will heal up. Well, guess what? Think of some of these storms as life as the same thing. God prunes you. He prunes some relationships prune some things, some habits, all of those things from you. And guess what? It hurts, and it may even hurt for a little while after the procedure is done, but you need to know that it's for the best. God is doing that so that he can have you where he wants you to be. Not only that, so he can have you in a place where you experience uninhibited joy. That's what God is doing. Our personal song of praise is given with our singing of praise, and guess what? with the lifting of our hands. With the lifting of our hands. This is the word toda. This word is used in connection with offering our praise to God. Thanksgiving, to extend hands in a sacrifice of praise. It's biblical to lift your hands. It's biblical to do that. So don't ever be ashamed. 
I'm not giving you a mandate if you haven't lifted your hands, but I'm just telling you that it's biblical. It's, it signifies something. You know, when the guy breaks into the store and steals some stuff and he comes out and all of a sudden the police come, put your hands up. Surrender. <laughs> that means, listen, I can't do anything else. It's all on you, whatever you want to do. I belong to you now. <laughs> right? That's what it depicts. Lifting up your hands is surrender. I surrender to you, God. It's totally biblical. Try it sometime. <laughs> Praise God. Number five, our personal song of praise is for God. We worship him and him alone. Our desire in praise is to please God. Remember when David sinned? We talked about it in Psalm 51. He sinned. In fact, he committed adultery. And then he really, uh, in effect, committed murder by sending, uh, sending the young man back out onto the battlefield, putting him in the front so he would get killed. So here's a man, after God's own heart, that committed adultery and committed murder. The prophet came to him and uh, said, what would you do in this situation? He said, I would have that man killed. He said, guess what? You are the man. And he said, but God is not going to kill you. And you know what David did? He went before the Lord and he said, God, I have sinned against you and you alone. And when I used to read that, I thought, well, I mean, I understand that, but what about Bathsheba? Come on now. And what about her husband? You sinned against them too. But we need to understand there is a purpose for this because our, our personal relationship and our personal song of praise and repentance to God, it has to start with God. It has to start there. Otherwise, they're just words that fall onto a, an unfruitful ground. They really are. We have to have a personal song of praise with God. You have to have that relationship right. Another lady I was kind of, I guess, giving some counsel to, uh, she was also talking about a relationship she was in, and uh, she had just gotten out of a relationship uh, you know, with a young man, and they had been through some things, and uh, all of a sudden now this other young man came calling, and uh, the, the, the um, advice that I gave her was to give it some time. Let some time go by between these things, because um, you really need to be in church you need to fall. She was a Christian. You need to, to, to fall in love again with Jesus. Go back and see about your first love because he will prepare that. If this is a man for you, guess what? God's working on him um, or he, he, and he needs to prepare you. But your first love has to be with the Lord. That's where it needs to be. Get that right and all this other stuff will take care of itself. Okay, get that right. Song of praise unto God. Psalm 29, 2. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 45, 11 says, So the king will greatly desire your beauty. Why? Because he is your Lord. So worship him. And then finally, Psalm 99, 5 says, Exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his footstool. Why? Because he is holy. 